Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, let me start with some baseball. Walker Bueller, stud. Fact. Just a fact. Not even a take. It's a fact. In fact, in fact, it was a fact before he took the mound last night. But it was underlined once again last night because of what he got done. Now, I'm not even talking about the fact that he went out on short rest and got the Dodgers into the fifth inning with a lead in a game they had to have. What I'm talking about, though, is the mindset that went into that. After game two, he said that he would be available to go on short rest if L.A. did not win game three. Not something we, we want to do all the time, but, but I, I felt that things didn't go our way yesterday that, that I, I would feel really weird not, not pitching a game that we could lose a series. All right, so did you pick up on that? There's something a little bit unusual in that. There are some big game pitchers who want to be on the bump in a game where their team can win a series. But this is a guy looking to be out there in a game where the team can lose a series. That's different. That's saying, I want the rock when the stakes are the highest and I want it on short rest, even knowing the risks that come along with that. I'm that guy. I'm that dude. I want that pressure. I want to be the guy to stop the bleeding. I want to be the guy to potentially save our season. Get on my freaking back. I'm your dude. If L.A. lost last night, it is over. The series, the season, the chance of repeating. You win 106 games in the regular season, and then it's over in a matter of days. If they lost last night. Now, if they lost last night, I would not go so far as to say that the entire season would be a bust, but I'm sure they would. That's why it was so brass for Bueller to be out there. And it's a reminder of why he has been one of the best big game pitchers in the sport pretty much since he arrived. There were the nearly seven scoreless innings that he pitched in a game, 163, back in 2018 to win the division, right? There was game seven against Milwaukee. There is the World Series ERA of .69. There is the 1.25 ERA in games where the Dodgers face elimination. And then there was last night. They were coming off that absolutely gutting one nothing loss to the Giants in Game 3, where Max Scherzer gave them everything, and it still was not enough. L.A. needed this guy out there. They needed this dude out there on three days. And he needed to show up the way he did, with the heat, 96 miles per hour, a little faster than he normally is, and with enough in the tank to get it into the fifth and then turn it over to that bullpen. Dave Roberts had checked with him after Game 3 to make sure that he was still good to go and essential, you can bet your ass Bueller was. To be completely honest, there, there probably wasn't anything that could have been going on that, that I would have told him that I, I didn't want the ball. So, um, you know, as long as I could walk into the clubhouse, I, I think I was going to pitch. Now, that's not to say that that was his most dominant performance ever, but to me it was right up there with his most clutch performance ever. Because this guy was huge when they needed him to be huge. Again, he got them into the fifth. He made sure he left the game with the lead. And he got them into the fifth, which got them into game five. And about that lead. Because the other thing L.A. needed after game three was runs. They needed the bats to wake up. They needed runs. They needed them early and often. See, the Giants had put the clamps on L.A. to such an extent that going into last night, L.A. only scored in three of the previous 27 innings. Obviously, that's not going to get it done. So they had to get going, and they had to get going early. 
you want to get a leg up on these guys or risk getting choked out by these guys in your own house. That's why it was so important for L.A. to do what they did in the first. And now Turner into right center. That's going to get down and go to the wall. Seeger off to the races. Around third. They'll bring him home. The throw to the plate, and he's in there. And the Dodgers strike first. So that was key. Take a little of the edge off. Little bit of the heat off. Then they did this in the second. And that one's a high drive. Left field. Back on it is Wade. He's got it at the track. That's going to deliver another run. Bellinger tags as well. And the Dodgers have a 2 to nothing lead. All right, so pretty good, right? But still not enough. I mean, being up 2 nothing against the Giants is just not enough, which is why it was so huge when the Dodgers loaded the bases in the bottom of the third, and the guy you want up with the bases loaded is this guy, Chris Taylor. All runners on the move. There they go. And a swing and a drive into left field. Back on it is Wade. He's got it. What a catch. Lamont Wade over his shoulder, crashing up against the wall. I'm telling you, man, that would have been so huge for Taylor to jump ship. And it looked like he had or might have until Lamont Wade showed up. Lamont Wade Jr. Man, that was such an absurd play. If that drops in, you can go ahead and start bumping Randy Newman right then and there. Game over. See y'all in Frisco tomorrow night. Except Wade makes that play and keeps them in the game. And by now, you should not be surprised. This is what the Giants do. This is how they roll. They make plays. They make a lot of plays. Time and time again, they rob the Dodgers of runs and momentum. Man, it's a wild, wild thing to see. I mean, they freaking catch everything. They make the near impossible look routine. And they do it every freaking night. That's how you win 107 games. And it's got to be just soul-snatching to the Dodgers, right? Like, how do you beat these guys? How do you get a ball past their defense? Turns out, Mookie Betts had the answer. Dodgers have had traffic all game. That ball's driven into right field. Bryant turns and runs. Mookie Betts! Two-run blast! 4-0 Dodgers! My man, Mookie. Dude, he is so damn good. He is so great. You can't hit it where they ain't because the Giants are everywhere except in the seats. That's the one place where they can't go and get it. They can't catch the ball if it goes over the fence. So, now it all comes down to tomorrow night. Because, of course it does. It always was going to. The 106-win team versus the 107-win team. Two teams who have been side-by-side the entire year, separated by a single game over the course of the season, and now they've got one game to see whose season ends and who gets to keep going. Dodgers, Giants, SoCal v. NoCal. Let's get it on. Who you got? This is so huge. Hey, but don't take my word for it. Listen to Dave Roberts. This is what baseball wants. I mean, I think, uh, as I understand, all the series are done, and so we're going to be the only show in town. So uh, if you uh, have a pulse or uh, you're a sports fan, you you better be watching Dodgers-Giants. So it's going to be a great one. No doubt. And no offense to the other playoff matchups. Are there any other playoff matchups? Is anybody else even playing? Did they put everything else on hold until this one was done? 
I mean, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? What are we talking about here? What are we talking about? We're talking about the greatest rivalry in National League history. Koufax v. Marischal. Marischal's bat versus Roseboro's head. Hershiser v. Lincecum. Brian Wilson v. Well, Brian Wilson. Let's get weird. Two of the top 10 records in the history of baseball facing off in a winner-take-all. And, and if you can believe this, it's all going down on Dodger Jim's birthday. You sound like a homer. The stakes could not be higher. I feel like I'm the referee. Given both sides their uh, rules, final instructions, get your ass to the corner, come out swinging. The baseball world, the entire world will be looking at Cali. No Cal v. SoCal. It's go time. Let's get it. Who you like? Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights from your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends login for the good stuff. Now, let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can catch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV and your life together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Andy McCullough is my guest. Andy, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm well, Jim. How about yourself? Good, good. I appreciate you finding a way to get this done. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Typically, Andy, nothing lives up to the hype except maybe this, a 106-win Dodger team going up against a 107-win Giants team. And now we're looking at a Game 5. Generally speaking, what do you make of what you've seen from the series so far? It's been pretty interesting. I mean, I think you are seeing kind of the two different, uh, almost like styles of club. You know, the Dodgers are incredibly talented, but also, you know, offensively inconsistent. Um, the Giants are very, very deep. They are, uh, you know, wonderful game planning. They are, you know, as scouts believe, a, a magnificent situational team. Um, and so, you know, they've won the two tighter games, and the Dodgers have won two blowouts. Um, I think it shapes up for a really, really fun matchup, you know, tomorrow night with Julio Arias going up against Logan Webb. You know, Webb was just tremendous in game one, like just really shut down the Dodgers. And Arias was, you know, good in game two, and it's been historically pretty, uh, you know, stress-free in the postseason. So it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So let's get right to that game five, Andy. What is the key for the Dodgers tomorrow night in your mind? I mean, you know, Dave Roberts was – more irritated than, uh, you know, it's certainly normal. He's pretty even irritated with their approach. And after game one, he felt like they didn't make any adjustments. They were trying to just, you know, basically swing for the fences over and over again. You know, and Webb has been using a change up a little bit more in game one than he normally does. And so, you know, they're, he was, the Dodgers, in order to get to Webb, they're going to need to be a little bit more patient. They're not just going to have to chase change-ups at the shins, um, you know, try and see his two-seamer up in the zone and, and drive it, as they did with Kevin Gossman and Anthony Piscofani in games two and four. So, you know, that's that's the big difference for the Dodgers. I mean, you know, the, 
Urias has the sort of stuff and the composure to shut down um, the the Giants lineup. However, you know he, his command is always a little iffy, and though the Giants are able to, you know, get guys on base, get some traffic there, and then potentially, you know, go deep, which is what their offense has been for most of the year. They would that would do like a successful strategy, I guess. Andy McCall is joining us once again. Andy, what about the Giants? If you're Gabe Kapler, for instance, how are you feeling about your bullpen going into tomorrow night's game? Yeah, I mean, he really had to put him to work, uh, especially in game four. I mean, they got, you know, five outs. I mean, he's got Bonnie. But, you know, look, they're going to have Webb, who should be able to give them, you know, two turns to the lineup. They're going to have Kevin Gossman, you know, their starter in game two, who should be able to give them a couple innings. And they're going to have, you know, at least in situational uses, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee, and they will have a well-rested cumulative ball, their rookie closer. So, you know, they're not in a perfect position, but I think the day off and the combination of having two good starting pitchers who should be able to handle the bulk of the night, he's in an okay spot. So, Andy, let me ask you this. Like Before the season started, there was so much focus on the Dodgers and the Padres, yeah. and obviously we were wrong, right? I mean, should we have been focusing, easy to say now, but should we have known, should we have been focusing on the Giants all along instead? I mean, it's a it's a great question. I mean, I, I I think one it was reasonable to focus on the Dodgers, right? They won 106 games. They're awesome. Um, the Padres, I think, are incredibly talented. They just you know underperformed. It's, the Giants are a really really challenging team to think about because like you're sort of you know it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of scouts in the last couple of weeks, and they they've reported kind of like a similar sort of. Uh, you know, experience with watching this team is they come in kind of skeptical and they watch them for three or four days and they're like, okay, I get it. You know, they they play the they play so well situationally. They're very prepared. They have you know sort of battle tested veterans. You know, they they make good decisions. Kapler has you know uh, you know, press the right buttons. So it's like on paper, you know, should this team be this good? You know, probably not. But I think they are unlike a lot of. Uh, you know, modern baseball teams, they are more than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. You know, they aren't just like sort of disparate players who all, you know, uh, have their production. I mean, they, they play to get, they play, play well as a team and they are utilized properly, you know, if that makes sense. I think that's a great description, actually, of what they do and who they are. Andy McCullough is joining us. Andy, before the series started, I thought you wrote a great piece about the Dodgers and where they are right now, regardless of whether or not the season ends tomorrow or it ends with a trophy, does it feel like this is the end of an era for the Dodgers? It certainly does to me. I mean, I think that, you know, we will see if they bring back Clayton Kershaw at free agency. I would suspect he will be back, um, you know, but there, there's always a chance, you know, if he actually goes to the market. But, you know, Kenley Jansen is likely to play elsewhere next year. Corey Seager is likely to play elsewhere next year. Chris Taylor is likely to play elsewhere next year. Um, you know, they are kind of approaching a decision point on what to try and do with Cody Bellinger. They have, you know, already shed a lot of really valuable contributors, you know, from that championship core, that division winning core of the previous years. And especially, you know, you look at Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson are both playing so well this postseason. So they just have a lot of challenging decisions to make this offseason. And, you know, it's not that I think that they're all of a sudden going to be, you know, an 82 win team, but I think this idea that they are going to be a juggernaut where the division, winning the division is kind of their birthright. I, I just don't foresee it anymore, you know, because of both the internal issues and also just the rise of the Giants. I think what Farhan Zaidi has built in San Francisco was really impressive. And, you know, from what people around the game say, what they're doing on the farm and in the draft is going to be able to keep it going. So I think it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting winner for the Dodgers. But I, this, the idea of them just running roughshod over the West, uh, I, I think is kind of over. 
Andy McCullough joining us for a couple of more moments. we got big game five in San Francisco. Andy, before I let you go, you see the Astros right back where they always are, right? They get to the ALCS. And this was after at least one White Sox player had implied that maybe there was something sketchy going on. Let me ask you this. If you were to ask players around the league and they were completely honest, do you get the sense that guys think that the Astros are still cheating on some level? Question. I mean, I haven't asked them that directly. I mean, I do think there's a general level of distaste and suspicion of them, but I, you know, I haven't asked a ton of guys like, "Hey, do you think they're still cheating?" So I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say. But but there, I mean, look, this is kind of what they've earned, right? When you when you engage in a scandal like this, and even if it's only a handful of players on the 2020 roster, I mean, this is just part of the deal, you know. And this was one of the things that. Rob Manfred talked about in terms of punishment. You know, he was like, I, you know, they, because of the agreement with the union, they couldn't actually suspend players. But he said, you know, the punishment would come in the way they're treated, you know, by opponents, by fans and stuff. And so, I mean, I, I think it certainly added intrigue to what, you know, otherwise was basically like an ass kicking. The, the Astros were just sort of, you know, boat race, the, the White Sox in four games, and the Astros are looking really, really strong. I, I would suspect, I, you know, I picked them to win the World Series, um, and, you know, they look really, really good. I was going to say, finally, so they're going to face the Red Sox in the ALCS, you know, a series with obvious storylines, lots of them as it relates to the scandal, Alex Cora, etc. So what are your early thoughts on the matchup before I let you go? I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of high-scoring games. I mean, Boston's pitching is a bit of a mess, and so it's going to be a real test for Cora to sort of see if if they can MacGyver their way through. I just think that Houston's offense is too deep, too dangerous, and, you know, uh, barring the health of Lance McCullers, I mean, that, you know, if he's not able to pitch, that would be a real problem. But, um, you know, Houston does have a lot of good pitching both in their, you know, uh, and like sort of their starting rotation, and then also some guys who compete, you know, long men. And so I just think Houston's too deep. That offense just does not quit. I mean, they've got like Kyle Tucker, who, you know, by some metrics was the most productive hitter in baseball this year, batting seventh. I mean, that lineup is just really, really deep, really, you know, postseason tested. And, you know, everyone hates them and everyone thinks they're cheating, but they score a lot of points. And, you know, that's kind of what matters at this time of year. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things ever Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door. The goal here is to make living a healthy lifestyle easy and accessible for you and your family. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. And Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. So browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. And for a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash Rome, grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash R-O-M-E. It is a beef segment. I've laid it out, but very quickly, we do it once a week. You can talk about anything you want. You can complain about anything you want. You can beef about anything you want. Let's do it. Starting with the social media aspect and the email. Hi, Jim. I've got a beef. Did you ever call a wrong number and hang up before they answer? I hate 
when these sons of bitches call back demanding to know who was looking for them. Sarah T with the old bit. Jim, my beef is having nobody to root for when the cheaters play the other cheaters for the American League Championship. I guess I'll pull for the cheaters who got rid of their cheater manager so he could be the other cheaters manager. Signed Larry in Albany. Bitter Yankees fan. He signed it that way. Bitter Yankees fan. Mike tweets, My beef? Living fossils who reference the New York football giants. Newsflash. The New York baseball giants moved to SFO in 1957 during the writ Eisenhower administration. You mean like the Brooklyn baseball Dodgers? What else we got here? Jim, my beef is with grocery carts for children at the grocery store. Who thought this was a good idea? Following mom, the kid goes rogue and is bouncing off the store shelves with mom ignoring the carnage going on around her. I got a better idea. Keep your evil spawn on a leash and hook it to the adult cart. Jim and Temecula. Jim, my beef is people using the beach as their personal trash can. Stop putting your cigarettes out in the sand and leaving your watermelon carcass for me to step on. Class it up and pack it out. BZ in Pensacola. That one's new. See, a lot of these beefs are not so new. That one is. I like it. Ridge Michael tweets, My beef is with people who think Omaha is nothing but farms and only good for watching corn grow and an overabundance of fried mayonnaise balls. I mean it. But we throw down those mayo chunks and watch those beautiful stalks grow atop our two metro skyscrapers. Wow, dude. Even Rit won't eat fried mayo. Hey, Rome, my beef is with speakerphone guy. You know the guy who talks on the phone while on speaker the whole time? Hey, hack, put on some headphones or an earpiece so the rest of us don't have to listen to your entire conversation about nothing. Oh, by the way, when I call you, don't put me on speaker. Steve from the Northwest, you know when they go like this? He always sees people like walking their dog, holding their phone like this, just talking into it sideways, you know? Speaking into a speakerphone is one thing, but speaking into a speakerphone and having somebody else on speakerphone and not telling them they're on speakerphone is not cool. At least disclose that they're on speaker. Hey, Rome, they know. Sometimes you don't, but you should. Let's see. Clubber Lang. My beef is with parents that roll their infant up to the door on Halloween in a stroller and hold up and say, trick or treat, hey, a-hole, we know the candy is not for your three-month-old kid. Go to the store and buy some candy, you bag. This one says, hello, Jim Rome. My beef is with 20 signs for my garage sale guy. Hey, junk brother. Brother. 
if you are sick of your crap, then what makes you think that broadcasting and giving turn-by-turn directions to your used items is going to make it more appealing? Goodwill doesn't pride itself on its marketing campaign, you idiot, and neither should you. Jeff from PDX, that is the leader in the clubhouse so far. Hey, junk brother. (laughs) Brother. Jim, my beef is with these a-holes riding a penis-shaped rocket, calling themselves astronauts because they poked their heads into space for two seconds. War Matt in L.A. calls sounding like he is under said penis rockets during launch. Garrett in Utah. Garrett is now the new leader in the clubhouse. My beef is with these a-holes riding their penis rockets and poking their head in for two seconds. My beef is with that old man Rit taking something down when I'm going to read it again. Wait, old man. Oh, that was on you, Chalk? (laughs) Canadian Hitman, quote, My beef is with my neighbor who is too lazy to rake the leaves falling from his trees. Instead, they end up blowing around and landing in my yard. Perhaps his trees need to meet my chainsaw. Bro, my neighbor said the same thing to me. About me. Canadian hitman, do you live next door to me? We've got these two big trees that shed, man, and they're big and they're right over my neighbor's property. Man, I know why he's pissed. I'm actually on my neighbor's side. I mean, physically, I'm almost on his side, but he's right. Jumpman, my beef is with hands-free soap dispensers. Just why? You're washing your hands. I have to stand there doing a hand hand dance just to get this stupid robot to acknowledge that I'm there and I need some suds. Just because Karen is paranoid about germs that she's literally about to wash away. Diana in Detroit wore lady clones. Wore lady clones. She warred herself. Good job, Diana. I have to stand here and do a stupid hand dance to get some suds. This one says, memo to all sports TV analysts. Please stop wearing white tennis shoes with your suits. What a ridiculous look. Stick with the wingtips. Ken and Chatsworth. That's actually a real conversation that we always have. There's more. It's Remy tweets. I have a beef with at Big Head Bets. While he is adding to my bankroll on the weekends, I know he's doing it during the week too. What do we have to do to get some more picks during the week? Hmm. Hmm, Ambi. Hmm, mm, Ambi. Hmm. Dude, his head's big enough as it is, man. Stop. Romy, I have a beef with my three and a half year old son who refuses to poop in the toilet. Son, you are the youngest of my four offspring. I've changed a diaper every day since 2010. For the love, I want to be done. No, you will not get sucked down the drain. No, you cannot have another pull-up. Please, I'm begging you. Sit on the toilet and push. Dave in the 808. This one is from at Beauregard's Butler. My beef is with Kathleen. I finally checked out Avatar. Are you kidding? This is supposed to be metal? 
They wear matching circus ringmaster costumes. It's like watching the Wiggles on a bad acid trip. Stop listening to this trash and listen to some real Swedes. ABBA. It's a great palindrome, ABBA. ABBA kicks ass, don't they? Wasn't there that story about ABBA was offered like a billion dollars to do a reunion tour? And they're like, now nah, we're good. We're ABBA. We don't need your money. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. I'm telling you, Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Good, good stuff. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones... Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Not to Old Trapper. Old Trapper, what's your beef? You trying to flip me off, old man, or are you saying go to line six? All right, let's go to the phones. Good job on the beefs on email and social. Let's go to, what do you know? There she is. Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, are you hearing that hate for Avatar? From Beauregard's Butler. Right? Let's go there right now. Hey, Kathleen. Hell yes. Like, what the hell? There is nothing wrong with the outfits they wear. I like them. They're cute. And besides, they don't even wear them anymore. They they moved on to these overall red-looking shirts, whatever they wear now. But it's like, and their music. Oh, hell. That man, is, Johannes, is still one hell of a singer. They're... They're out. Oh, oh, good gravy. Harry messed up what I originally wanted to say, and it was about Johannes and how tacky he is because he wears round glasses when he's way cuter with rectangular glasses. He wears Hawaiian shirts. His shorts are sometimes too short. Ah. Kathleen, it's almost impossible to get run during a beef, and you just pulled it off. She got very flustered. I know that's very unusual for Kathleen to get flustered. But she got very flustered when somebody went in on her band and what they wear. Okay. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Roseville, California. Darren, Darren, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. My beef is the stupid puffy vest guy. So you're saying your torso is cold, but your arms are not? That makes zero sense. Or a jacket or a sweater like a normal person, you dummy. <laughs> My man. Nice job, Darren. See, Kathleen, that's how you do it. You get in, you get out. You come in, you beef. You get in, you get out. Keep moving. Bam, bam, bam. You dummy. He has a beef with puffy vest guy. I like it. 1-800-636-8686. Let's try Seattle. Marcus. Marcus, what is your beef? Hey, Jim, thanks for the vine. Yeah, my beef is for the over-competitive, has-to-win guy. Nobody likes a sore loser, and we hate a sore winner even less. Just be humble, be gracious, sit down, and wait for your next battle if you win. If you lose, be better, thank your opponent for showing you your weakness, get better, and get at it. Don't be a bag so nobody roots for you when you win. That's all I got. I'm out. All right. What is your beef? 
His beef seems to be with overly competitive guys or people who can't win with class guys, or I don't even know what it was. It's all right. Kind of. It was better than Kathleen. 1-800-636-8686. If there's something that's aggravating you, just say what it is, getting it out. Hey, Rome, my beef is insert. And then hang up the phone. It's not as hard as some of you are making it. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Kansas City. Mo, Mo, what's your beef? Hey, Jim, what's going on, brother? My beef is with my wife, man. Last night, you know, we're wrestling around, and all of a sudden she wanted me to pin her. And I'm like, eh, Jim, I don't want to have another kid with her. Oh, dude. Incredible. My man, I'm sorry. I, I literally shouldn't. But I've got to reset what he just said. I should keep moving. The responsible thing is to keep moving. He said, yo, Jim, what's up, man? So last night, my we've, my beef is with my wife. Last night, we're wrestling around. She wanted me to pin her. And I said, man, I don't want to have another kid with her. And then he was going to finish the thought. I'm like, now we better stop right there. Good job, Mo. Way to keep it real, Mo. Nothing worse than wrestling and your partner wanting to be pinned and you don't want to end the match. Uh, Anyway, wrestling is interchangeable with having sex. That's just what we say when the kids are little kids and they want to know what those ferocious sounds are in mommy and daddy's bedroom. You're like, "Uh, nothing. Mom and dad are just wrestling. This guy's like, she want anyway. Mo, who's next? We can't be done. We can't walk off on that. Let's go to Florida. Bergy. Isn't this a great segment? Bergy, what's your beef? Jim, my beef is with the uh, local NFL announce team, the number two guy in the booth in just about every city. It comes down to the end of the game. It's the big field goal opportunity. <laughs> the announcer's about to have his big moment. And the freaking number two guy, he always jumps in, yes, we won, he made it, that's it, we're over. I'm out, Jim. Yeah, no, I hear you. The thing is, though, lately, they're getting louder and more aggressive, and they're wrong because a kicker can't make a kick. And, like, the kick is up, it's on its way, and you've got the color announcer saying, it's good, oh! Because nobody can make a kick suddenly. All right, that's kind of original. Anybody else? What do you want to beef on? Let's keep moving. I'm going to run this thing out as far as I possibly can. Let's go to Buffalo. Cody. Cody, what's your beef? Hi, Jim. Uh, just a uh, beef here. Um, those old guys that swim in pools that don't shave their backs. I mean, do I really need to swim up while I'm in the four-foot lane and run into a rat's nest while I'm hanging out on a Saturday morning? Thank you. All right, Cody. Cody. I think he said, do I want to run into a rat's nest? All right, keep it clean. Because every time you say something that sounds like it's something you should not say, Alvin has a heart attack. He's like, my beef is with guys 
who need to shave their back and won't. I don't need to see that when I'm trying to get my exercise in. All guy. All guy. This is an amazing thing. Like, the lines just keep ringing. Go ahead. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to my old stomping ground, the 805. Best place in the world, Santa Barbara. Patrick. Patrick, what's your beef? Hey, Romy, what up, dude? My beef is when you're trying to give me your hot take in the morning between 9 and 12, I get all these stupid car insurance people trying to sell me a bunch of garbage. Okay? I ain't down with it. Leave me alone. I'm listening to Romy. All right? War Dodgers playoffs tomorrow night, baby. Late. Late. Hey, man, that's how the, <laughs> that's how the world works, right? There are going to be ads. 1-800-636-8686. I think what the guy's saying is, yeah, dude, we understand that there are going to be ads, but do they have to be right in the middle of your rant, right in the middle of your take? Yeah, that would be frustrating. I see it working. All right, quickly, San Diego, Brad in San Diego. Brad, what's your beef? Hey, Rome, how you doing? Good, dude, you? Yeah, good, good. So my beef is with dudes that pull off at the stoplight next to you with their passenger side down, uh, window down. They're the only ones in the car, and they're blaring horrible music dude your music's not that cool and you're not that cool and you suck and just roll up your window and torture yourself fair enough i like it by the way bro your music sucks your car sucks why is the passenger window down why do we have to listen to what you're listening to man listen to it if you want to listen to your music go right ahead bump it as loud as you want but why are we subjected to it that's fair i will allow that Anybody else? You know, it's amazing. Like, the crew stopped answering the phones, but they're still ringing. I could do this for the rest of the hour. It's a bunch of miserable people out there. I like it. That's why it works. Allison Felix is my guest. Allison, so nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It is so good to have you. In fact, let me rephrase that question. When you look at it, the last couple of months, you have launched a new shoe brand. You went to the Olympics. You won multiple medals once again. You became the most decorated American track and field athlete of all time. So exactly how is your life right now? (laughs) Uh, It's really busy, but it's busy with some really cool stuff. Um, Yeah, I've been really fortunate to be able to do what I absolutely love and do some cool things. And uh, yeah, it's been good. All right, good. So when you look at what the last year or so was like and the fact that you had to work through a pandemic like so many other people and train through the pandemic, I'm curious, when the Olympic trials did roll around and you had the 400-meter final, knowing everything you had to go through just to get to that position, what kind of emotions were you feeling going into that race? I was so just pumped because I felt like I had overcome so much, but then there was also so much doubt. I felt like, you know, I had been told that I was done. You know, I was too old. I couldn't come back from having a kid, you know, all these things. So um, there was so much, you know, riding on it and also felt like I was a representation for so many people who had been told that and so many women and mothers. So, um, yeah, I was I was uh, up for it. Allison Felix is joining us. I wanted to ask you about that. But it's more than just an athlete trying to come back from having a child and that's not supposed to work. The fact of the matter is, those who don't know, your daughter Cammy was born prematurely in 2018 and spent a month in NICU before she was able to be released. There were complications that could have taken her life or your life. And it wasn't long after she was born that you started training for the World Championships. So knowing how emotionally and physically challenging that 
process was. How were you able to do that to train and compete again? Man, when I look back at it now, I'm like, how did I ever get through that? But, you know, I had amazing support system, people who were in my corner. You know, my family made so many sacrifices for me to even have the opportunity. And, you know, I've been an athlete all my life, a competitor. So, obviously, you know, I've been able to overcome, you know, some hurdles that have been in my way. But um, I, I really wanted it as well. So what was it like to have her? What was it like to have your daughter with you at the trials this year? It was the coolest thing. You know, it was like such a special moment for it all to, you know, come together. And then, you know, she's been the motivation behind it. So, you know, she's at an age where she, you know, she kind of understands what's going on and she's having a lot of fun with it. But it was really special for our family. That is cool. Allison Felix joining us. Then you go to Tokyo and in the 400 meter final, you're running in lane nine. I could argue that just qualifying for the Olympics and reaching the final was an incredible accomplishment given the last few years. But you fought like crazy. You win a bronze. What do you remember about the final 50 meters? I was just running my heart out. You know, I gave it my all. Um, I don't think I've ever been so happy to win a bronze medal. Um, Usually I would be, you know, devastated and so disappointed. But with all the circumstances, um, it, it felt like a gold. You know, what's really interesting is I thought you had a really insightful Instagram post shortly before that race, and it started with this, quote, when I line up for a race, I'm normally afraid, of course. I'm always a little nervous, but if I'm honest, I'm afraid, end of quote. I'm curious, like, where does the fear come from, and then how do you deal with it? In other words, is it something you use for motivation, or do you have to face it down in order to run? Yeah, I think it's really like the weight of expectations of others, and you know, the fear of disappointing, you know, other people. And um, I just was trying to be transparent because I think it's a a special time for us to show the human side. Um, And for me, I have to face that and and take it on and say, you know, I'm going to let this weight go and I'm going to run for myself and all the reasons that are important to me. And, you know, as long as I give it my absolute all that's you know all i can ask for myself all right so i think that's really interesting the rest of the post also is tremendous and it's well worth reading i'm curious why was that something that you wanted to share shortly before that race yeah i just felt like there was like this light you know simone was going through her stuff naomi you know had spoke out and i just felt like i wanted to be more vulnerable you know i don't think we see that from athletes a lot of times and especially in some really big moments and so i felt like that's something I wanted to open up about. Um, and then also, I wanted to run free in that race, and I was kind of just sharing what was on my heart. You know, it was my, my last time at the Olympic Games, and, you know, I wanted to lay it all out there. You know, you kind of answered it before I could ask. I was going to say, did that bit of transparency kind of set you free? Yeah, it did. I think it was, you know, like you said, I was out there in lane nine, which is not ideal for a, a sprinter, but it allowed me not to think about anybody else and just to kind of enjoy the moment and, um, you know, embrace it all. Allison Felix joining us. All right, so after meddling in the 400-meter final, you ran that second leg on that incredible 400-meter relay team. As you've had a little bit of time to reflect on that run now, what was that trip around the track like for you? It was cool. You know, that was the actual last moment that, you know, I was on the Olympic stage. I was with a great group of women. Um, kind of all different ages, and it was special. You know, I, I definitely tried to savor those moments. So let me ask you this. Going back to a point that you made earlier, there's that perception that when women athletes have children, their best years are supposed to be behind them. After what you've accomplished this year, how much has that narrative or that story changed? I hope a lot. You know, I hope that, you know, other women are um, finding inspiration from that, you know, realizing that 
they don't have to make all of their decisions um, based on, you know, the timing of their career. And, you know, that's something that I really felt weighed on me um, that I didn't want other women to have to face. So I think now that we're celebrating more women as mothers, you know, who are athletes, I think it's starting to shift. Allison Felix is joining us. So you went through so many challenges the past few years, and you're such an inspiration to so many people. What would you like people listening to today to take away from this story? Or maybe if they're trying to overcome something and they're just not sure how to push through or how to get there, what's your message to them? To be a fighter. You know, for me, I think everything was against me. Um, I deeply believed in what I was doing, what I was standing for. Um, and, you know, sometimes you got to go out and it, it's a risk, but um, sometimes you got to bet on yourself. And I think that's really what my story was about. I like those two messages. Be a fighter, bet on yourself. I also mentioned off the top that you're working with Right to Play. This is an organization that you've been involved with for a decade now. How did you first get involved and what was it about their work that connected with you on such a deep, deep level? Yeah, um, I've been working with them for, gosh, over well over a decade. Um, first got involved when Johan, the founder, um, spoke to me and about his work. Um, and he goes into, you know, these disadvantaged countries and uses play to teach these kids these amazing life lessons. And I went out in the field with him, and I was just, my life was changed. And I was like, I got to get involved in this. So um, they're doing incredible work, and I was really excited to, you know, be able to, take after him. He donated all his winnings um, when he was competing to Right to Play and to, to starting Right to Play and to helping these kids. And I wanted to follow after him and, and donate um, my winnings as well. And it's so clear what it means to you and how much it does mean to you. If folks want more information on Right to Play, where do they go to get it? They can go to righttoplayusa.org, um, get involved. You can donate. It's an incredible cause. Um, and we'd love to have the support. Excellent. She is the most decorated American track and field athlete of all time. Allison Felix, our guest. Allison, so nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for the chat. Good luck to you, and really a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much, Jim. I have to tell you really quickly, I literally grew up with my in the backseat of my car listening to your show while my dad was commuting us uh, in L.A. traffic, and so a longtime fan and just a real honor to be on with you. Oh, today. that is such an amazing story to share, Alice, and I appreciate you so much. It is an honor to have you on this show, and that kind of gave me goosebumps. Thank you very much for saying so. That was nice. Of course. Take care. All right, let's go to the phones. We go to West Virginia. Melissa. It's good to have you, Melissa. What's up? Oh, hey, Jim. Nice to talk to you. Happy early birthday to you and Rip, and I hope everything goes well for you guys tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to the show. I um, also wanted to say that it's really cool that hockey is starting back up i've heard that the first game was last night but there's a game on tomorrow night that i'm looking forward to the rangers game and i forgot who they're playing against i'm sorry but um wanted to call and remind you who i was because i've heard a few times where i'm referred to as what's her name or what's her face and you say west virginia but i think i need to call him and remind him of who i am of your clone fan in west virginia jim so that's why i called and also, I was thinking about your top 100 music list you talked about a while back. Right. That I have a few suggestions for you if you want to hear them, or you might already have the bands on there anyway, but you need to listen to some Beastie Boys and get those in your life. Songs like Paul Revere off of License to Ill, So What You Want, and Gratitude, and Mark on the Bus is really good on Check Your Head. And you also need to at least get Sabotage, which is like an awesome song, an awesome video off of Ill Communication. 
and also some Almond Brothers band. They're always great and puts you in a good mood. So all those music is like positive and it's funny because you'll probably think about, you know, oh, I heard that song and I was with such and such or, you know, at a party or something and you heard it. It'll just make you smile. But I do hope you and Rid have a wonderful day tomorrow and your XR4TI guys are cool and it's good to be able to show them behind the glass again. We I kind of missed them when, you know, watching the show without seeing them. Even though they were there working, you know, you just had a reason for not doing it. And I understand the reason, but I just wanted to call and say hey to you. So thanks for taking my call. I've been on hold for a while, but I understand you're busy. Melissa. Nice job. Go ahead and rack her. Wow. Rack him. Yeah, I will rack him. Yeah, I will never, ever refer to you as, oh, what's-her-face ever again. Not after that call, Melissa. Hey, Melissa, thanks for the tip on sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Thanks for tipping me off to that. I'll check out that that tune. <laughs> Too much. I like her also saying that, you know, you got a really cool crew there. No, I don't. You could say a lot of things about the XR4TI, but the one thing you cannot say about the XR4TI is how cool those nerds are. Kenneth Walker III joins us. Kenneth, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Thank you for having me, by the way. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for doing it, by the way. Listen, you had a massive game on Saturday, as I referenced. I know you're not going to want to make it about you, so let me ask you about the program itself. What is the vibe like around the team and the program now that you're 6-0 and you're ranked in the top 10 in both polls? Uh, It's great. You know, we got high energy here. You know, every practice is intense. You know, we know we got to keep going and stay focused on our goals, but yeah, it's great. Um, everybody's everybody's brothers, and we know each other. We have each other's back. So it's been right. great. I got that. So I said I wouldn't make it about you. So let me make it about you now. In that third quarter, <laughs> Rutgers had you guys pinned deep in your own territory. In fact, you're on your own six yard line. You break off the longest run in school history. Can you take me through the play? What did you see on it, and in particular when you dropped those moves around the thirty and you broke into the clear? Right. So uh, at the beginning of the play, you know, our offensive line did a great job. Uh, made it much easier. They had a huge hole. So that's when uh, I took it to the sideline on the left side. I, I seen the linebacker. I believe it was linebacker to safety. I took it to the left. And um, Speedy, he had a block on the edge. He did good on um, blocking this guy. And when I seen the safety, I got a chance to get one-on-one with the safety. I just made a move. And I just seen green grass from there. Just seeing green grass from there. I like it. Kenneth Walker the third joining us since you mentioned Speedy. In the win over Rutgers, Speedy Naylor had three TD receptions of more than 60 yards, and you accounted for nearly 250 yards on the ground. Like, What's it feel like when the offense is ex- executing and rolling at a high level like that? It's, it's a great feeling. You know, we got so many um, playmakers on our team. Like Speedy had an excellent game. And, uh, you know, Jay Reed, he's, he's a playmaker. Peyton Thorne does everything. He's, he's a great leader. Um, yeah, it's just great. I feel like we have a very explosive offense, and it, it makes things a lot easier. You know, what's wild to me is that your run that we just talked about was the longest run in school history, but not the longest run you've had. You had a 96-yard run in Wake Forest <laughs> before you came to Michigan State. What's it feel like to have the longest run in Wake Forest history and the longest run in Michigan State history? Um, I honestly, I think that's pretty cool. Like that's exciting because after that run, uh, we talked. I had a little uh, interview, and then I like they asked me about that, and I mentioned it to them. So like that's a cool feeling to have. That's a really cool thing to have, actually. So take me back when you were looking to transfer. You were trying to make that decision right in the middle of COVID. So what was that process like, and what made you decide that Michigan State was the right place for you? 
Yeah, so um, before I even transferred, it was uh, when I was thinking about it and everything, going over it with my parents, it was it was kind of hard because, you know, I was at a school where I knew, like, everything about, and I was um, thinking about leaving, and I didn't know if, like, I was leaving into something that uh, I felt like would fit me or um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know. So, and I didn't know much about the transfer portal in general. But um, when I entered the portal, you know, different schools were talking to me, but I ended up uh, getting a chance to talk to uh, Coach Cap. And then I talked to Coach uh, Coach Johnson and Coach Peekle on Zoom. You know, I couldn't visit the school and everything. So we did a little uh, virtual campus deal. And then I uh, finally got the chance to talk to Coach Tuck. And uh, he told me everything about the culture here. And uh, I love this plan. And I felt like that was the best fit for me. And that's when I decided to um, commit. Kenneth Walker the third joining us. You know, what's amazing is when you lay it out like that, especially you have a virtual tour and you admit yourself that you just don't really know. I mean, you're not exactly sure what right. you're getting into, but then you get there. I mean, from the outside, when I look at the numbers you're putting up right now, it seems like, it feels like you've been there for years, but you actually only got there in January. So how do you explain the fact that you've been able to mesh that quickly with the scheme and the other players the way you have? Right. Um, first off, with the players, um, they took me in like, I was one of them already. They didn't see me as like a competition or anything like that. It was so helpful. It was real helpful. You know, Connor, when he was with us, and he's still, still now, you know, he moved to tight end, but still now he helps me with plays. Like if I, if I need some, some help on something, he tells me to keep plays, like where to hit the hole and things like that. So um, having my brothers help me and made it much easier to come in. Also that just uh, shows how great the coaching is. They made me feel comfortable and, uh, made it easier on me to learn the plays. And so, you know, we've been working since winter. So, again, accolated with that, it, it made things a lot easier. Kenneth Walker the third joining us, having a huge year. You mentioned Coach Tuck. This is a huge Mel Tucker house. I always enjoy talking to him and having him on the program. I appreciate how he approaches every practice and every game. So what's it been like to play for him? It's been amazing. You know, he makes sure, you know, we, we are having a successful season, but he makes sure no one gets satisfied. And I believe that's that's really important for us as a team to never get satisfied and uh, keep going and stay focused and uh, go hard every practice. You know, I also like he coaches us up no matter who it is. Um, you make a mistake or do something wrong, he's not afraid to coach you up and critique, critique you and uh, help you be a better player. See, like, it's pretty clear to me that you're going to make it about the team, and it should be, right? But you're all about your brothers. You're all about the guys you're going to battle with. But the fact is, when you're putting up the numbers you're putting up, you're going to get attention, and you're getting Heisman Trophy run right now. So what's it mean to you to hear your name mentioned as a Heisman candidate? And then what would it mean, if you allowed yourself to think this way, what would it mean the award? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's super exciting. Um, it's a blessing, to be honest, to be in this position, uh, to even be getting recognition of being a Heisman. You know, that's always been a dream of mine. Even in high school, like, I've seen Heisman winners, things like that, and it was like, like, you know, I put myself in that position and visualize it, and I believe, like, if I was to win a Heisman, like, oh, I, I really don't know what I'd do. I'd be so excited. <laughs> I like it, man. Let me ask you something. You said it's, uh, you made the point that you used to visualize this even in high school. What's interesting is when you look at the career you're having right now and the kind of pro- productivity that you are putting up or having right now, you didn't get a lot of attention from recruiters when you were in high school. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was it, honestly it, it it was hard. Um, you know, I feel like in high school, being I felt like I was kind of overlooked a lot of the times. You know, I I get schools to talk to me, but a lot of them would never uh, offer me. So like, I started to, at one point in high school, I like would start to doubt myself. Like, 
is like D1 for me and things like that is going to college football for me because like uh, a lot of schools didn't want really want to talk to me. So um, when I ended up getting my first like Power Five offer, well my only Power Five offer at Wake, I, t- I took that chance. Yeah, I wonder about the process, right? Like when when you think you have it and you really believe you have it, but nobody's telling you you have it. And even you said it yourself, it's kind of hard, and I started to doubt myself. How do you maintain that vision? How do, you, how do you keep that same kind of conviction and believe that, well, they're not all right. I've got this. I can do it. Right. Um, it, was, it was a lot of help from my, both my parents, to be honest. Um, they, they, kept me, they kept supporting me. You know, um, My dad did a great job. He was always grinding with me like after practice and things like that. I go to high school. I have my practice in high school, and then come back home and uh, have another workout with my dad. And like, you know, he always talks to me about certain stuff in life, and it, and it, not just on the field, things about on the field, but off the field, and it, it keeps me going. Dude, how important is that? I mean, I I've got a couple of sons, and you know, everybody's so busy. What's that mean to you to have parents that make sacrifices for you, man? And you know, they're doing it because they love you, and that they they're giving up other things so you can have a better life and a better shot. Do you feel that from your parents, and what's that mean to you? Yeah, oh yeah, um, that's that's my why. First off, God, God in my family is my why. You know, um, both my parents having both my parents in my life is is, is a blessing. I'm very grateful for it. I don't take it for granted because I know people around the world. A lot of people around the world don't have both their parents. So me having both my parents and I'm able to talk to them every day about anything. It, it means so much to me. And yeah, they're they're my why and why I keep going. Dude, that is so great. That is so great that somebody your age, you understand that already, and you already have that why, and you know that why, and you're grateful for that. That is a tremendous perspective. Michigan State 6-0. They are number nine in the coaches' poll. They're at Indiana on Saturday, another big one, and he is having a huge year. Kenneth Walker III, my guest. My man, good to meet you. Good to have you on the show. I really appreciate that conversation. Kenneth, thanks so much. Uh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Good night now!